0: To turn with me to Zephaniah, chapter 3. We're going to look at the conclusion of that prophet. Zephaniah is after Habakkuk and before Haggai. We're reading verses 14 of chapter 3 to the end of the chapter. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival, so that you will no longer suffer reproach. The end of Zephaniah 3 is absolutely remarkable. It is one of the most exuberant passages in the entire Bible as it describes the restoration that Israel will experience when their God um, comes to dwell with them. And the way that it describes this is almost beyond any comprehension. But what makes Zephaniah, the end of Zephaniah, particularly striking is the beginning. Of Zephaniah chapter 3 you can look there verse 1 and you see it actually begins with God promising judgment on the very same people that he just promised restoration at the end of the chapter woe to her who is rebellious and defiled that oppressive city and before that the terror of God's wrath is described in nearly unparalleled terms at the start of the book so look at chapter 1 and verse 1 Or verse 2, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth. And so we come to the end of the book and we find something we don't expect. Joy. Rejoicing. Hope. One scholar puts it like this. One of the most awesome descriptions of the wrath of God in judgment found anywhere in the entire Bible is the opening verses of Zephaniah. And yet one of the most moving descriptions of the love of God for his people found anywhere in the entire Bible is found at the end of Zephaniah. So this sort of reversal is commonplace in the prophets. They will often predict uh, the judgment that God will bring on his people and then almost like in the next breath uh, announce the promise that God will will not remain far off forever but will restore his people but the unique thing in Zephaniah is just how vivid each of these descriptions both of judgment and restoration are and how close together they are because it's such a small book as we look at these final verses the main thing that roots Zephaniah's beautifully exuberant close is something that he repeats twice over if you look at verses 14 through 20 there's two things that or there's something he says twice and this is the source of all the joy, and that is that God will be with his people. You see it in verse 15, and you see it in verse 17. The Lord is in your midst. And this is what we celebrate this time of year at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God in our midst. Reason for rejoicing indeed. Reason for Singing in exaltation. That was one of the lines of the carol we sang earlier. Sing in exaltation. And that's what Zephaniah calls Israel to. Sing aloud, rejoice, and exalt with all your heart. Uh, The coming of Christ is reason for doing just that, but that was just a foretaste. That was just a little picture of what was to come, a guarantee, a down payment of a future return. When God will dwell in the midst of his people forever, not for 33 years, but forever, world without end. That's, of course, the point of this Advent season. It's not so much to be getting us uh, thinking about the birth of Christ, but getting us ready for the return of Christ. And it's the first coming of Christ that secures in our hearts the the. the the um, assurance that we need to know he will come again, because he came once, he will come again, and it's meant to get us excited for his second coming. And so when Christ returns, when the Lord is in our midst, we will heed the command of verse 14. Look there, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, that's a phrase that means people of God, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart. When The Lord is in our midst. We will do this because everything will be better. We have reasons in life that make us not want to sing. But those reasons will all disappear. Everything will be better. And we're going to talk about that tonight. How will things be better? We're going to walk through that. But I want to say first that Zephaniah's command to rejoice with all our heart is not one that we should wait on fulfilling. Uh, We should start singing now. We should start being joyful now and rejoicing now. In fact, it's because Christ came once, we know he will come a second time. And so, these promises that we read of what life will be like when the Lord dwells with his people, these promises, just like with all the promises of God, are as good as fulfilled. The moment the Lord, who never lies, speaks a word, it's as good as fulfilled. We never have to doubt, we never have to wonder will it come true? Not one of the promises of the Lord falls or fails. And so what we need now, you and I here at this point in history, what we need as we await the fulfillment of God's word is a reminder on how glorious things will be then in the future to change how we live now. We need a reminder of how great and glorious things will be then and that's meant to change how we live now. Joy and praise and jubilee should mark our hearts now as believers, even if things like sadness and sorrow mark the world we live in and even our experience in this world. So, look to the future to change how you live in the present. Start singing now. Okay, why? Why? Six reasons for you. Six reasons I pulled out of this passage. Six reasons for singing when the Lord is in our midst. First, And we'll go through each of these very briefly, don't worry. First, judgment is taken away. Judgment is taken away. The people are told to rejoice because on the day that the Lord dwells with them, he will take away the judgment against them. Verse 15, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. The terrifying curses pronounced earlier in Zephaniah and other parts of ...of the prophetic uh, books. They will be repealed. They will be removed. And you and I, we have that promise right now. Romans 5 says we're justified by faith. What does it mean to be justified? It means that God has said... ...God has pronounced in in the heavenly courtroom... ...that you are cleared of your guilt. He, He is. He has removed the condemnation that you and I deserve for our sin. He has taken the judgment away. That has already happened now. What changes then when the Lord dwells in our midst? What changes is that this is the words of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Well, let me read it to you. It says this, describing the day of the the return of Christ. At the resurrection... Believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment, and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoyment of God for all eternity. We're not yet openly acknowledged and acquitted. No, we know that internally that this is true. It's a spiritual reality. But when the Lord dwells in our midst, He is going to announce before the entire watching world this is my child. And there is no condemnation. I have taken the judgment away. And so we have justification now. We have vindication soon to come. Both are a reason for rejoicing. Rejoice right now because you will be openly acknowledged as belonging to Christ. And openly acquitted of all the sins that you've committed. And the pending judgments that they deserve. Why do we sing when the Lord dwells in our midst? Why should we sing now? because he takes the judgment away. Second, because he defeats our enemies. Look at verse 15 again. The Lord has cleared away your enemies. again in verse 16. Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. There should be no fear. Verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Verse 19. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I'll save the lame and gather the outcast and change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. This is repeated so often in these few verses because it was a big deal to, I mean, think who Zephaniah is speaking to. He's uh, speaking to people in exile, held captive by their enemies. It's a big deal to know that that's not the end of the story. Uh, that, that they, that, that. Um, the end of the story isn't them in obscurity, in slavery, in captivity, but in fact, their enemies will be conquered. It's a big deal to Israel. That's why it's repeated over and over. But, friends, it's a big deal to us too. You want your enemies to be defeated. Look again at verse 15. You shall never again fear evil. Think about that statement. Let that sink in. You shall never again fear. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a world where you would never have any jolts of fear? That you'll never be afraid? Afraid of legitimate things? There are things in this world that make us afraid for good reason. We do have enemies. And the witness of scripture is that the three greatest enemies we have is the world, our own sinful flesh, and the devil. But when the Lord dwells in our midst, when we're in the new heavens and the new earth, well, the world will be dissolved, the flesh will be perfected, and the devil will be drowned in the pits of hell. Our enemies will be completely defeated. We will not have any reason to be Afraid, Revelation 21, 27 describes the new heavens and the new earth by saying nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's going to be a safe place. Only, only our comrades, uh, not our combatants, not our enemies. In addition to the things we, we might rightly fear, You know, we also deal, some of us, with irrational fears, like arachnophobia, right? Fear of spiders, agoraphobia, fear of open spaces, osmophobia, the fear of smells, trichophobia, the fear of hair. I could read you about 30 more because I did get on a bit of a tangent Googling these things. Um... None of that in glory. Why? Because there's nothing irrational in glory. Because our minds will be righted. They'll be corrected. They'll be fixed. There is one thing we will fear in glory. And Jeremiah tells us, I will give them one heart, one way, that they may fear me forever. That they may fear me. So sing because you will never be afraid again. But you only live uprightly in the presence of In the fear of the Lord. A third reason to sing. We sing because our judgment's taken away. Because our enemies are defeated. We sing because our king is Christ. Israel puts their hopes again and again in the king uh, that would rule over them. And again and again their hopes are are crushed. We saw that impulse this morning in 1 Samuel 8, right? We want a king. He's going to make everything better. Well, none of the kings make things better. But if we just had the right king, wouldn't everything be Okay. Well, God agrees, and he says, but I must be that king. So look at verse 15. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. This is what Israel needed so badly, and it's what we need. We do need a king. We need one who will rule over us in love and wisdom and power, and that's what we get in Christ, the king of Israel, who is the Lord. He is the king, the real king. Do you know that? Do you recognize that? Herod knew that. That's why he tried to get him killed. The wise men knew it. That's why they made their trek uh, to, to, to pay homage to him. Do you recognize that the babe in the manger is the king of Israel and the Lord of glory? And do you own him as your king? If you do, then you have every reason to rejoice. Even if it seems like this world is spinning out of control. Even... If you feel like every other day you're hearing about another scandal from another leader who's letting his people down, who's formerly trusted and and no longer so, even when that's the case, as believers, we take heart because our true king is on the throne. Our true king is on the throne, and we will be with him soon. So when the Lord is in your midst, you will sing. And because you know he will be in your midst soon, you sing now. Fourth reason. Another reason for rejoicing is not only that we'll be with Christ, but that we'll be with one another. We'll be gathered together. We'll be gathered together. Zephaniah emphasizes that the effects of the exile and the dispersion uh, from Jerusalem will be reversed. So we see that in verse 18. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival. Those who are, are missing out on being part of the festivities back at home. And you'll no longer suffer reproach. He also mentions it in verse 20. At that time I will bring you in. At the time when I gather you together. Part of the reason we can't wait. Or or we ought to be (laughs) eagerly awaiting the new heavens and the new earth. Is because we will be together. Isn't that that an interesting perspective? I wonder if we think of it like that. That one of the joys of heaven is that God's people will not just be with their God, but they'll be with one another. Zephaniah says that's reason for rejoicing, that we'll be gathered together. Uh, Part of what we look forward to at the holiday season is all the family being home. Uh, Conversely, one of the things that's hardest about this time of year is when our loved ones can't be with us, right? When maybe people can't get off work, they can't. Uh, maybe get a flight and, and and they miss out on being together with everyone else that 's that 's hard or or maybe you 've lost a loved one, a spouse or a parent or a child and and then each each year is is a reminder of the fact that we 're not all together and that there 's an emptiness, not so in glory. All of God's people, every single one of his family will be together. And I can't explain it. I don't understand the metaphysics of it all. But, but the, the countless multitudes of the elect will literally be together. We won't be looking for one another and, and, and still missing and longing for each other. We'll, we'll be as one On the second Christmas, right, the first Christmas is Jesus coming to Bethlehem. The second Christmas is that return that we're talking about. Um, Bing Crosby's line will finally come true I'll be home for Christmas. It's really true for the Christian. What well, long last, all be gathered together with our Father, but also with our brothers. In our sisters in the Lord. And that's reason to rejoice. A fifth reason to sing. Not only will we, we be returned home, but we'll be restored as well. What we have lost will be restored. Uh, look at verse 20. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes. If this life seems to be marked by loss, loss of any and all kinds, it's no reason to despair. Now, if this world is all that there is, sure, that is reason to despair. And you should cry all that you'd like. You'd have every reason to. But Zephaniah is saying that our happiness and our, and our joy is not in this world, but in the one to come, and so rejoice, because in that world to come, everything that you've lost in this life will be restored to you in the next. Jesus said that, didn't he? Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. You will be lacking for nothing in glory. Well, there's a final reason. We're at our sixth of six reasons to sing when God dwells with us. And I think it's the greatest reason of all. Why should I sing? Because God is singing too. Because God is singing. It's a staggering statement made in verse 17. And it's unparalleled, really, in all the rest of Scripture. You see, it's the last line of verse 17. He will exalt over you with loud singing. What I've been trying to do tonight is to help us to see all that that God has done for us uh, and will do for us so that we would have ample reason to exalt over him with loud singing. But the wonder of it all is that God is so in love with us And is so delighted with his people, so pleased with his redeemed people, that we actually give him cause for singing. The prophet is picturing God as being so elated with the object of his affections, the object of his love, you and I, that he can't help but sing about it. God himself. On the previous line, uh, the prophet had pictured God so enamored with his people that he's actually struck silent. I think the ESV probably renders this incorrectly, uh, this line, he will quiet you by his love. In the Hebrew, quiet is an intransitive verb, which means that the subject actually is the one receiving the action. And so just as God will rejoice over his people, and just as he will sing over his people, the, the idea likely here is that He'll be quiet over his people. He'll be made quiet over his people. As he sinks into contemplations of his people, he's, he's silent and he, he takes it all in. And then as he does, he says, I'm going to sing now. I want to sing about it. He's moved to rejoice. Can you believe that? That you are the object of the maker of the universe. You're the object of the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. You are the object of God's love song. Could we be silent over him when he is not silent over us? Some of you uh, perhaps are, are prone to this. You're ashamed of your voice. And in church, we have a lot of singing and maybe you don't like that about church. You mumble the words, you bury your head into the hymnal. I I think maybe men in particular think there's something unmanly about singing out. Well, guess what? God sings. God sings. He's not ashamed to sing. He's not ashamed of the object of his song, you and I. When we dwell with the Lord, he will be singing. And there was a little glimpse of that in the incarnation, wasn't there? What happened when Jesus was born in Bethlehem? When the king of Israel first came to dwell with his people, the singing of heavenly beings, angels, filled the night, right? Earth heard the songs of heaven, but not the full symphony, not the main singer either, because God hadn't yet stepped out on the stage to sing, but that's... What Zephaniah is saying will soon happen, and what a day that will be. What a song to be caught up in, and what a reason even now for us to rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the hope of glory that it gives to us. And all of the reasons that we have to rejoice now, even as we're in this wilderness of wandering, this... This pilgrimage that's marked by sin and suffering and sorrow, even so, we want it to be marked by a song tuned to your praise for what you have promised us in the next life. What you've promised us will soon be true in glory, or you will remove the judgments away from us. You'll defeat our enemies. You will... Take away our shame. You'll restore all that we have lost a hundredfold. You'll give us eternal life, but most of all, you will dwell in our midst. We can't wait for that day. We ask that you would help us to sing out in joy until it comes and on into eternity. Amen.